This is a 1951 painting by Thomas Hart Benton. Benton was a Midwesterner and painted any number of pieces like this, reflecting life in the Midwest, especially in the middle part of the 20th century. This 1951 painting is called Flood Disaster. Flood Disaster because in the spring of 1951, where Benton lived in Kansas City, Missouri, they were inundated by a massive flood. So Thomas Hart Benton created this now iconic American masterpiece painting. He not only painted this, but he made copies of the painting and sent copies to every member of Congress in the United States. It was Benton's way to cry out for help. Can't help but take a look at this flood disaster and be moved by the sheer pain and chaos going on in it. Everything is turned upside down. Everything is undone. It looks absolutely unfixable. Flood disaster. We know about that, don't we? When the creek rises and the dike fails and everything in life comes absolutely undone. No wonder when we're going through a tough time, we say, I'm going through hell and what? High water. (laughs) I'm talking about personal pain, marital pain. Financial pain, congregational pain, any kind of pain. And we cry out just like Thomas Hart Benton. We cry out for help. Quite often, what do people say? Play with pain. Keep your chin up. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Don't believe any of this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the long haul. The Bible doesn't say we survive a disaster by swallowing hard and saying, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible teaches we survive flood disasters by going through it. We survive a disaster not by deflecting and denying, not by posing and pretending. We survive a disaster by going through it. How do we do that? Through laments. Very early in the Bible, we begin reading about laments. People who grieve, cry, shed tears, mourn, wail. The first lament recorded is in Exodus chapter 5 where Moses laments to God and says, why have you mistreated your people? 
I mean, they're state slaves in Egypt. Moses is saying, what gives God? Joshua. In the book of Joshua, laments to God because the Ammonites have just defeated the Israelites. And in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua laments saying, God, why have you caused this disgrace to fall upon your people? And then there's giddy up, get along, Gideon, right? Surrounded by 120,000 mighty medicine Midianites, Judges chapter 6. And Gideon laments and says, why has all this happened to us? Old Testament laments. People understand that you survive a disaster by going through it, feeling it, grieving over it. David, when his best friend Jonathan dies, along with Jonathan's father, King Saul, on Mount Gilboa in 1 Samuel chapter 31, as they are fighting the Philistines, Jonathan and Saul are dead. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we have one of antiquity's most famous laments. As David grieves deeply over the death of his best friend Jonathan and and Israel's first king Saul. And and then David's son Absalom is killed in battle. And, And David is weeping uncontrollably in chapter 19 of 2 Samuel. Lament, grieve, feel the pain and the loss. And then, of course, there's the book of Job. (laughs) For almost the entire book of 42 chapters, Job laments. Why God? Why God this? Why God this right now? Why God this right now to me? And then 65 of the 150 Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. And of course, as you know, there's a whole book in the Bible called what? Lamentations. Old Testament believers know how to grieve, how to be honest, how to be transparent, how to address life's greatest frustrations. Many of their laments end up blaming God for the whole disaster. It's called divine absence, the dark night of the soul. Uh, These Old Testament lamenters say, God, you said you would be with us, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. Old Testament laments. Ask questions. Like, why isn't life more fair? Uh, Why did I have to go through this? God, where are you? And these lamenters understand that you survive a disaster not by trying to go around it or tunnel underneath it or jump over it. You survive a disaster by going through it. And we do that through laments. 
Jeremiah then stands in this long line of lamenters and complainers and weepers in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the whole book, all 52 chapters would be a map on how to survive life's disasters. This weekend, of course, surviving through laments. Jeremiah survived through his laments. That's what Michelangelo says, right? We've seen this painting a time or three already. 1505 on the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Michelangelo calls this painting the weeping prophet. There's Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't dance around issues. Jeremiah doesn't fake it till he makes it. Jeremiah doesn't put on a face and pretend everything's fine. No, Jeremiah laments. We have six of his laments in chapters 11, 12, 15, 17, 18, and 20. And these are some of the rawest, most vulnerable prayers in the entire Bible. Jeremiah wears his heart on his sleeve. Why is he so downcast? Uh, Why is he so sad that six times he complains and wails and laments? Because, and this might be one of life's most painful events, Jeremiah was rejected. They even gave him a nickname, right? Magor Misaviv in Hebrew. Terror on every side. Boy, isn't that a great nickname for a pastor to have. Here comes good old Magor Misaviv, Mr. Bad News himself. (laughs) Terror on every side. That pain, Jeremiah, that hurt Jeremiah. And so he laments. Uh, You heard this in our first reading, chapter 15, verse 18. Jeremiah is complaining. He says, my pain is unceasing. My wound is incurable. Now, Jeremiah doesn't lament in the sense of giving up. Uh, Jeremiah isn't complaining uh, in the sense of he's thrown in the towel. Jeremiah laments... Because he wants God to do something. God do anything. Don't just be silent. Rembrandt, in his famous painting of Jeremiah, 1680, also pictures Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. Because everything, right, is going up in flames. In chapter 11, his first lament, Jeremiah says to God, you led me like a lamb to the slaughter. It's as though Jeremiah was playing quarterback and he got blindsided by a defensive end and thrown down and crushed. Only it wasn't the other side that blitzed him and tackled him. It was God who did this. God crushed Jeremiah. 
God sacked Jeremiah. And God left Jeremiah on the field writhing in pain. I was led like a lamb to the slaughter, God, and it's your fault. He says as much in chapter 15. You were a deceitful brook, waters that fail. He thought God would quench his soul. He thought God would come through. But God, you're deceitful. You failed me. Jeremiah keeps wrestling with God. Not because he's given up. Oh, no. Right? But because he wants God to do something, anything. Jeremiah knows that he survives a disaster by going through it. Feeling it. Acknowledging it. And if we don't do that, if we don't lament over our deep pain, alcoholic father, emotionally distant mother, friends that turned on us, a boss that ignored us, finances that failed us. If we don't grieve over that, it's like bearing toxic waste. Sooner or later, that toxic waste will come up and we will bring upon ourselves more disasters. That pain in your neck, that funny feeling in your lower back, that high blood pressure, uh, those indigestion problems, a lot of that is caused because we stuff our sorrow inside. And then our heart becomes like what? A stone. I'm so tired of feeling pain that I just don't want to feel anymore. So I'm going to commit what psychologists call emotional suicide. I'm just not going to feel anymore. I'm going to become robotic. I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to cut people out of my life. And my heart becomes a stone. This is what life does to us. To lament, though, is not a sign of weakness. To lament is a sign of strength. To lament is to bring us back from the dead. But beware when you start sharing your sorrows and sadness with some people, they will try and change the topic, they'll turn up the television. They'll leave the room because, you see, their hearts are like stone from their own brokenness and sorrow. So you share your sorrow and sadness, and they will simply say, just get over it. Just move on from it. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that you survive a disaster by going through it. And sometimes it's really messy. Jesus teaches this 
On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? So, so if I deny the mess in my life, if I deny the disasters, if I pretend that everything is just fine, Jesus says, you won't get comforted. You won't have healing. Blessed are those who mourn, who lament, who grieve, who cry, for they will be comforted. That's what David teaches too. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through, right, through the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) That preposition through is huge, right? Uh, Again, I need to go through it. I need to feel it. I need to talk about it. But when I'm in the valley of shadow of death, I don't camp out there. (laughs) I don't buy real estate. Don't stay there, but go through there. That's what Jeremiah teaches. Jeremiah corrects any euphoric understandings we have of the Christian life. Jeremiah corrects any, any understandings we have that the Christian life is only sweetness and light. It's only victory in Jesus. Oh, no, it's not. The Christian life sometimes is a life of being crushed and broken and despairing and hopeless. And so we lament. We go through it. Well, let's get practical. How do I do that? How do I actually take this flood disaster in my life and how do I lament? Five steps. First one is complain. Complain. I mean, we're pretty good at complaining. This should be a pretty easy step, right? Right? But complain to God. That's foreign to a lot of us, right? You mean complain to God? You bet. These five steps I'm sharing with you, you can see all of them in just about every Old Testament lament. To succeed in any relationship, you have to be honest. Same with God. Be honest. You know that old gospel song, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Well, it's me. It's not someone else. It's really me. So I'm going to complain. I'm going to let God know that. It's just me, Lord. A, appeal. Appeal. So you don't get stuck on just complaining, right? That may take a a lot of time. But then you appeal. You appeal to God's character. What is God's character? God's character is defined in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Listen to these characteristics. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I'm appealing to that. God's gospel characteristics. I complain, God, this is a disaster and I am devastated. And where were you in all of that? 
Why should you let it happen? But then I appeal. I appeal to God's gospel traits. Then I remind God, right? Remind God of his promises. This is what Martin Luther does. His best friend Philip Melanchthon is dying, and Luther tells us, and I quote, I rubbed God's promises in his ears. He had to hear me. (laughs) God, you said if I call upon you in the day of trouble, you'll deliver me. God, you said that in Psalm 50, verse 15. I'm reminding God of that. Matthew 7, verse 7, ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Remind God of these promises that he has made to you. He express. Express trust. Even when you can't feel it, even when you can't see it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Complain, appeal, remind, express, but sometimes that's not enough. It just isn't. Sometimes you still can't cope. So there's S. Seek. Seek. Seek professional help. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. Seek a Christian counselor. Talk with a pastor. Connect with a St. Michael Stephen minister. First Peter 5.7. This is how I try and sleep just about every night. First Peter 5.7. Cast all for he cares. <laughs> he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety upon him. He cares for you. He cares for you so much that he gives you this gift of lament. We survive a disaster by going through it. Cares. We also survive a disaster by looking beyond it. Beyond it to who? Jesus. Like Jeremiah, Jesus was rejected. They called Jeremiah, remember, Magormi Saviv. They called Jesus Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. Jeremiah wept uncontrollably. Jesus weeps uncontrollably. Jeremiah went through hell and high water. Jesus went through hell and high water. But when it came to Jeremiah, God didn't let his enemies kill him. When it comes to Jesus, God allowed his enemies to marshal every weapon of mass destruction, shoot straight and kill. Jeremiah was reduced to laments and tears. Jesus was reduced to a common criminal Nailed to wood, blood-soaked, and utterly forsaken. And then Jesus laments. 
Uh, Let me say that again. Jesus laments the most famous lament in the Bible. You know that, Psalm 22, verse 1. In his native Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabathani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are you bleeding? Jesus bleeds. Are you gasping for air? Jesus gasps for air. Are you hurting? Jesus hurt. Are you broken? Jesus is broken. Are you crushed? Jesus is absolutely crushed. But our Lord's laments turned into a song of everlasting victory, didn't it? There was the cross, but there's the crown. There was Golgotha, but there's Galilee. There was death, and there is resurrection. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping endures for a night. Joy, resurrection joy comes in, (laughs) you know this verse, comes in the morning. After the long nights of laments, there's joy, there's color, there's hope, there's new life. Thomas Hart Benton also painted this picture in 1951. It was after the flood disaster. You know what he called? I couldn't believe this. You can Google this. Google Thomas Hart Benton. And here's the title of the painting. June, June, June morning. Isn't that amazing? June, it's June. It's still June for a few more days. June morning. What's he saying? He's saying that after the flood disaster, after the wailing and lamenting, after the darkness and death, there was a morning. There was a June morning. And look at the painting. It's filled with color and symmetry and balance and hope and life. As your pastor, who loves you and cares for you, I encourage you to weep during the long nights of life. Use the acronym CARES. Face the pain head on. But I also encourage you to claim these promises in Christ Jesus. That in Christ, the morning will come, the June morning will come, and God will give you color and balance and symmetry and life. And these are God's gifts to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.